Good morning. Did you take a moment this morning when you woke up to remember your Creator? I uh, had an idea this morning early, and I got up and came up here, and on the way I was thinking about how edifying and, uh, and joyful it is to see all you young folks and to study the Word of God with you and to sing songs of praises to the only true and living Father. <clears throat> what a blessing it is. And I also started thinking about uh, some statements that I'd heard throughout the years that Christians just don't know how to have fun. And uh, I was just thinking about how, how much joy I've had being with you people. And uh, last night we were over at a Christian brother's house after service, and we were just sitting around telling funny stories and uh, about things that have happened, uh, you know, with other Christian people. And I don't know, it was just, it was joyful and, and it, there was no guilt in it, you know. And uh, I was just thinking about those things. But I will say this, uh, I did feel a little guilty yesterday because I went to eat over at the Henderson's house before church. And I ate some homemade cobbler, and uh, I'm supposed to be losing weight, so I did feel a little bit guilty. I had uh, not too long ago, well, this has happened a couple times actually, I had uh, both times it was good church ladies that came up to me and poked me in the stomach and uh, said, you're getting fat, or something to that effect. And I said, well, who's to blame for that? You know, but anyway... Uh, we're going to study this morning about choices regarding friends. I want to ask you, who's your best friend? Do you have one best friend? Maybe you have two or three of them. I don't know. When I was a young person, this guy right here was my best friend. I don't know if any of y'all recognize him. He was a young fellow then. That's Sean right there. We had a lot of fun together. We, we hunted a lot of wildlife and ate over a campfire and rode four-wheelers and came to church uh, study groups like y'all are at right now, but they were quite, quite a bit smaller. Uh, we're actually cousins also, but he was a great friend of mine. So who's your best friend? I... Uh, you know, today, Sean's a great friend of mine again. We lost contact for a few years. But you know, I guess today, I'd have to say that the, my best human friend on earth is probably my wife. Well, without doubt, it's my wife. I thought that when I was looking for a wife, that... uh I wanted to find somebody that would put me first, you know, put me in front of every, everything else. And I'm glad I didn't get my wish, because she didn't put me in front of everything else. I'm at least one notch down, you see, because she puts God first. And uh, that's the only way that a marriage can reach its full potential is if the man 
puts God before his wife. And the wife puts God before her husband. It's the only way it works. Uh, the way it's supposed to. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure that some of the elders here and, and uh, Marlon can tell you that in marriage counseling, uh, by the time they come to you, a lot of times it's too late. One of those parties has checked out already. And uh, <clears throat> I knew a guy that was a member of the church that uh, he met a really, really pretty girl when he was in high school. They went to the same college together. Uh, she was not a member of the church. But as their relationship grew, uh, they developed a love for each other. And uh, he told her, I want to marry you. Will you marry me? And she said, sure, I'll marry you. He said, but i got to ask you this one question. It's with a caveat. Will you go to church with me? She said, oh yeah, I'll go to church with you. Matter of fact, we can go to church at my church on Saturday evenings and we can go to your church on Sundays. Sounds good, don't it? Well, as time went by, they uh, had a baby, a young boy. And <clears throat> the wife said to the husband, uh, my family's tradition is to have this baby christened. Well, the husband thought, well, it's no big deal. I mean, it's really not baptism. So they went to the christening there, and there was a lot of pageantry, a lot of stained glass windows, a lot of people in official-looking robes, a lot of gold ornaments, big gold cross, and uh, they uh, sprinkled some water on that baby's head. And that husband thought, well, they're, they're throwing water on a baby's head that's never committed sin. This baby don't even know what sin is. This is just a charade. And uh, we'll correct it later on when the kid can understand what's going on. <clears throat> a few years passed, and the wife stopped going to church with the husband. But she let the baby go with the husband. So the husband would go to church, this is in Lubbock, Texas, and he would give the young child to the church ladies there to watch while he, because he did speak. And, uh, before long, out of the blue, this woman came to him and said, I'm not happy. I'm not happy in this marriage. Tell you another story. Young lady in the church, this ain't too long ago. She was looking for a boy that was in the church. She was, I should say, she was looking for a boy that went to church services with her in the church, but didn't really 
really wasn't a part of the church. In other words, they could have their Sundays and their meetings with the young people, but when they left church, they could go be with their other friends and do other things that weren't in accordance with God's will. You know, hang out. Have a good time. Well, she thought that when the kids arrived, she could change him and turn him into a godly man. A member of the church instead of just an attendee. Those kids arrived and he slowly stopped coming to church. He had put her first in his life at the beginning and now she was about fifth or sixth. He liked football better. He liked hunting better. He liked hanging out with his buddies better. He liked liked his man cave better. He liked his video games better. See where I'm going with this? She was looking for a good-looking guy that was popular, that had popular friends, and attended church services, but wasn't a part of the church. Not really. So I ask you, is that a life-and-death matter? Is it a life-and-death matter what kind of friends we choose? What kind of uh, partners we choose in life? Deuteronomy 30 and 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. I want you to notice, it says that thou and thy seed shall live. What do you think? happens to those kids in those situations oftentimes. Well, I'll tell you what fact of what happened to that little boy that had water sprinkled on him. Because that father occasionally wakes up. Oftentimes he wakes up in the middle of the night worried about that little baby who is now a young man who believes that he was baptized. And he believes that since he was saved, he can go do things that he shouldn't do. That he can go live evilly and still be saved in that lifestyle. And if he just so happens to die, well, he'll eventually get to heaven. He's just going to stop off in a place called purgatory for a little while till he learns his lesson. That's what that father wakes up thinking about. So who's your best friend here on earth? You know, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, the first time I ever heard this said was by a coach. And he had a four-foot paddle with holes cut in it, fixing to give me licks. 
It's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. You know what that means? It means you can't reach your full potential and do those good things you want to do when you got people hanging around you that are going to pull you down by their association. You just can't do it. And matter of fact, there was a whole line of us boys in line that day. We'd been in the showers popping each other with towels. Yeah, I know y'all have done that too. You see? <clears throat> but the Bible says it better than any man could. Proverbs 22 and 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, Be not deceived, evil communication corrupts good manners. Have you ever noticed that the people that you hang around, you kind of start acting like them? And then before long, you're acting like each other? Good and bad. If you hang around good people that follow God's uh, commandments, you, you start, I mean, you, you start acting like them. And vice versa, you pick up bad habits just like that. <clears throat> These fellows here were uh, the guys that replaced Sean Zebach as my friend. I had four of them. They were all popular. They were all what the world would consider stand-up young men. Had a bright future. Let's see if I can run this pointer. This one here, his dad was a DPS officer. Uh, this one here was the guy we were talking about yesterday. His dad was uh, the county judge. And uh, this one here was a farmer's son. This one here was a district attorney's son. And of course, my dad was a teacher and coach. <clears throat> you know, I remember the first time that one of these fellows came to me and uh, they were going out to a bonfire out in the country with all the high school kids. It's a place to be. And they had, uh, they had a keg of beer out there. And I had never drank beer before. And uh, anyway, we went out there, everybody was out there. and One of these fellows came up to me and he said, uh, Let's have, a, let's have a beer. And I said, well, I better not do that. He said, come on, live a little. Just try it. It ain't going to hurt you. What he should have said instead of live a little is die a little. Because I'm going to tell you something. When I drank that beer, I didn't like that taste, man. It tasted awful. Why would anybody want to drink that? You know? But... Evil communication corrupts good manners. And the more we did that type of stuff, the better that stuff started tasting. You see? And the more you did that stuff, the more people liked you. It was a rewarding thing, having people like you, your peers. <clears throat> Every one of these guys, every one of them had a problem with alcohol up to this point in time. Three of them full-blown out, well, two of them full-blown alcoholics, 
and two of them are dead. And we were best friends. I'll tell you what we had in common. We had a desire for football. We had a desire for fun. We had a desire to be famous. That's what we had a desire for. And that's what the devil promises you. And then he yanks it back. And you get the exact opposite of that. You see? Because we spent all that time deceiving ourselves. And deceiving each other. There were three of us that got football scholarships to play. Got all our school paid for. This one here... Had a pretty good career, I guess, in college. He uh, married a young lady that was in the church. Uh, Actually, he obeyed the gospel when he was 15. I know all this stuff because he was my my friend, but I also know this stuff because I preached his funeral this year. Okay? He was an honored lawyer in Hutchinson County. He did a lot of good things. He saved a lot of kids from bad situations and placed them in their grandparents' home or their other family's home uh, when their parents were out of there on dope or whatever. He did some good things. But you know what? He stopped drinking the easy stuff and he moved on to the hard stuff, like many people do. And before we knew it, this guy had gone from 230 pounds to 110 Got out of rehab the second time before I knew that he had a problem. By that time, he had lost his wife. He had lost his four kids. He had lost his law practice. He had numerous lawsuits against him and his family because of malpractice. He was suicidal. Tried to study with him, and he'd work. It would work for a day or a few hours. Go over there again, you find him over there with two empty vodka bottles. That's where that stuff took him. And I stood right there at that graveside and looked at his four daughters. Two sets of twins. Two of them were sophomores and two of them were freshmen in college. And they were standing right in front of me and I was trying to think of good things to say about this man. Because they found him on his kitchen floor convulsing until he died. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Your friends, if they're the wrong friends, will take an active hand in destroying you. So I want to talk about the qualities of a good friend. And I think you can look around and you can, uh, you already know a bunch of these qualities, but we're going to refresh them. Proverbs 13 and 20 again, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Who are these wise men? What makes a man wise? Matthew 7 and 24, 
This is Jesus talking at the end of the greatest sermon that was ever given. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You want your friends to be founded on the rock. First and foremost. You want your friends first and foremost. Your immediate circle needs to be fellow Christians. Proverbs 27 and 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. When you have a friend that's willing to study the Bible with you and talk about God with you and talk about Jesus Christ with you, you're getting sharper. You're growing. You're not staying babes. That's the kind of friends we want. Build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves and edify one another, even also you do. That's what we've been doing this week. We've been edifying each other. We've been building each other up. Now, do you want a friend that's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, just do it. Just do it. Try it one time. Or do you want a friend that's going to try to improve you? And you can mutually improve each other. <clears throat> Some of you kids, I know, have already seen your darkest hour. There's, I know there's two or three of you here that's been there. <clears throat> Some of you have not seen your darkest hour. Most of you haven't. Okay? There are dark hours coming, I'm telling you. Life is not a picnic. It will beat you up. Even when you make good decisions, but especially when you make bad decisions, life will beat you up. You want friends that will help you. You want friends that will pick you up. I'm going to tell you something. If it wasn't for a Christian friend of mine, in my darkest hour when I was in that pit, I'd have ended it. If it wasn't for one friend that had Christ as his best friend. Proverbs 17 and 17. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversary. When it gets tough, when the battle, the heat of the battle is the hottest, you want a friend whose best friend is Christ. It's invaluable. <clears throat> this is a hard one here. Y'all know what re rebuke means? It means to correct. To admonish. Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are were spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. <clears throat> Do you want a friend that will warn you when you're doing wrong? When you don't know you're doing wrong? 
The harder question is, do you want a friend that will warn you when you know you're doing wrong? <clears throat> Proverbs 27 and 5. Open rebuke is better than a secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Sometimes, <laughs> brutal honesty is it's the best thing. There's different ways to rebuke, and we should always do it out of love. Sometimes you can just come up to somebody and say, Friend, uh, I, I'm concerned about you. Uh, because of this or that. Can we talk about this? And sometimes you just have to come up to them and say, You're, you're the man. <laughs> you, are, you are doing this. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 9. I did not put these verses on the PowerPoint. So if you'd like to follow with me there, we'll go to the, to the book. <clears throat> this is about King David and his, uh, I would call him his great friend, Nathan. Starting in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a, as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So you have Nathan telling David the king this story about this rich man that had all these possessions that instead of taking from his possessions to feed this traveler he went to a poor man and took the only lamb he had and killed it to feed this person look at David's answer and David David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David said, That man will die. He'll die for that evil. In verse 7, Nathan replies, And Nathan said to David, Thou art that man. You're that man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. 
And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore, that hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. David was a man that was after God's own heart. And look what he did. <clears throat> because he desired this woman, he sent her husband to the front and killed him and took her for his own. And he sat there and lived in that palace for months after this happened. Nathan comes to him and he tells him this story about this uh, rich man that goes and steals from a poor man to feed a person and says that man will surely die. And Nathan said, you're that man. You're the one that did that. You want a friend that will do that to you? This is what David had to say about those events. Okay? Psalms 32 and 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night the hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of summer. Selah. David was in, boy, he was, he was hurting. Because of the sin that he had done. He was hurting. I'm going to ask you something. When you go out and do something you know you shouldn't do, and you come to church, do you sing right? Can you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with that sin on your heart? Can you focus on the Lord's Supper when we're remembering Him? Can you focus on His Word when that sin is on your heart? I can't. I can't do it. Because that's, the whole, that's what David's talking about here. An unconfessed sin. In verse 5 he goes on to say, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquities have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You see, the only relief he could get was to confess to the Lord. I can't hide it no more. I was that guy. I'm the guy who stole that. I'm that guy that stole that and killed the owner of that sheep. I'm him. I'm the robber. I'm the murderer, you see. That's the only way he could get forgiveness <clears throat> was to acknowledge his wrong. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> do you want a friend like that that will tell you when you're wrong? i tell you, <clears throat> I had a friend... When we were 16 years old, he got a brand new dirt bike. It's Kawasaki. 
and it was a full man. It was a full-grown man's dirt bike, and we loved riding them things. Anyway, he didn't he didn't like the headlight on the front of it, so he took the headlight off, and we it kind of got in his way. So we rode we rode those things all over the place. <clears throat> well. One evening, it was getting du- about dusk, and uh, he had to get home. He took off on that dirt bike, and I thought, man, it's getting dark. <laughs> but I didn't say nothing. There were five or six of us riding that day. And, uh, man, he took off. And uh, that bike could do about 100. He was rolling down the road as it was getting dark. And I guess he didn't see that Ford Bronco sitting on the side of that farm to market road. And uh, he hit that thing full bore. The only thing they could recognize when they came upon the scene was the face print that he left on the back of that uh, Ford. I'm going to tell you something. If I'm doing wrong... I want somebody to warn me. Because I don't want to be riding in the dark and headed straight to darkness and not be warned. I want to be warned. If I'm doing wrong and I know I'm doing wrong, I want to be rebuked. I don't want to run in the back of that Bronco. Our ultimate example of friendship is Jesus Christ. John 15 and 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Jesus said, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What a glorious thing to be a friend of Jesus. What a glorious thing. Do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Is He your King? Is He your Lord of Lords? Is He your best friend? This Son of God who died for us. Because I'm going to tell you something. Being friends with the world is incompatible with being friends with Jesus. Do you know the most miserable people in the world? They're people that play at Christianity. They play church. They came to church on Sundays. They, may, they come, may come to every church service. But when they leave this place, they're not, they're not a part of the church. They attend church, but they're not part of it. They go out there and do whatever they want during the week, and then they come back and try to ease their conscience at church time. Because light and dark are not compatible. James 4 and 4 says, Whosoever therefore will... Be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. We can't have it two ways. 
One of the greatest lies that Satan has got, got across to us is this fact. Number one, I'm running my own life. I'm not serving anybody. Number two, there's this line. There's this fence that, that lies between good and evil. And we can walk that fence. And occasionally, because we've been good for so long, well, we can dip our toe over into this stuff intentionally and enjoy it for a little bit. And then hop back over this fence. And then do it again. See what I'm saying? That's not what God wants. And it won't work in the end. Please get out your songbooks. Have you ever confessed Jesus? Have you been buried in baptism? If you haven't, you ain't his friend. Today's the time to do that. We need to do that today. Because if you know the difference between right and wrong, you know what sin is, you are accountable for your actions. <clears throat> I'd like you to think just for a second. Take a moment and think. When was that time in your life when Jesus was your best friend? When you felt like, man, that, I'm right. Like he's, I mean, he's with me all the time. His blood covers me. When you were closest to Jesus, when was that? When was it? Because if it ain't today, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Come and get the help you need as we stand and sing.